Tonight's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. How are we? It is a privilege to be with you. My name is Dave Hahn. Um, and welcome to Disciples Church. Let it be known that this is the most pulpity pulpit I've ever stood behind. And if we spend too much time here, I might want to get behind that monstrosity up there on the left. Uh, it's really good to be with you and, and stand before you again and be able to open God's word with you. So I've always been a guy that can draw. That might be something that you don't know about me. I've just always been able to do that as a kid. I was that guy that would help other kids when they couldn't draw hands and feet on a body. They'd always come over and go, hey, can you draw these hands or these feet for me? There's one in every class. I was the guy for me in, in my classes. And so when it came time for me to pick a focus of study in college, it was a pretty easy decision for me to, to go into something that had something to do with art. Um, art made the most sense, but I wasn't really interested in fine art. I'm not really a painter or kind of pottery guy. I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in graphic arts and advertising and those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll tell you why that is, why I have that leaning in a second. In the 27 years that I've been working professionally, I've gotten to create a lot of logos and visual identities for different companies because I love the challenge of needing to communicate what a company is all about in just a simple mark. It's exciting to me to figure that out. And I really love discovering the hidden meanings behind logos that I'm familiar with but didn't create. There are so many that I could show all of you as an example, but for time's sake, I'm only going to show three. We've got a little bit of show and tell, as you can see here to my left. So if you're listening on the podcast, um, you can Google these images as I talk about them to see what we're talking about. But for you guys, you get to see them right in front of you. So first, we have the Baskin-Robbins logo. Can everybody see that? Okay. At first glance, the Baskin-Robbins logo seems obvious. There's a B, and there's an R, and then the word Baskin-Robbins is underneath it. But if you look at the bumps of the B and the straight line of the R, you'll see the number 31, because Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. Our second logo is one that you're all likely familiar with. It's our very own Disciples Church logo, if you're not familiar with it. It's in the bulletin in front of you. So at first glance, I think it's fairly easy to see that there's a cross in the middle, right? Makes a lot of sense. We're a Christian church. But what you may not have noticed is that the outer edges of the cross form a D and a C for Disciples Church. So there's the D there, and there's the C there. Right? I'm just blowing minds right now, right? 
So the, the, the next and final logo, by the way, all of us, some of us are left-brained, some of us are right-brained. If you don't get it, we still love you. It's still brilliant. The next and final logo is the king of all logos ever created, in my opinion. It's the logo that I used to draw over and over again as a kid, and it really is the logo that got me interested in advertising and, and commercial art and those kinds of things. It is the Milwaukee Brewers logo, circa 1978 to 1993. This logo is so good that many fans, including myself, have rejected all other Brewer logos. We will not recognize any other Brewer logo. And the logo is so good that when they decided that they needed a new logo for this coming 50th anniversary, they went back to an updated version of this one. That's how good that logo is. Everyone who sees this logo calls it the ball and glove logo because it's the most obvious mark within it. But at some point, everyone who knows this logo as the ball and glove logo has or will have an aha moment. A moment where they realize that it's more than just a ball and a glove. And for those who have had that aha moment, they can tell you exactly when and where they were when they had it and who told them about it. And it's entirely possible, and this is really exciting, everyone, that someone sitting among us tonight is about to have their aha moment. For me, I was standing on my grandparents' porch as a 13-year-old when it happened to me. I was wearing a brewer hat, which is something I did often as a 13-year-old. And I was leaving my grandparents' house when my grandpa said, isn't it neat how they combine the ball and the glove with an M and a B? And I go, now what now? What are you talking about? And he showed me how the fingers of the glove are a lowercase m. And the palm and the thumb of the glove are a b. I was speechless. I was awestruck. I mean, how could I have missed that? And what genius created it? I think what stunned me the most was how something so beloved and so familiar to me was more beautiful and complex than I could have even realized. It had more meaning than I could even comprehend at a glance. But it took someone showing me its hidden beauty, so maybe somebody showing you its hidden beauty for you to see it for yourself. And so it is in a far, far greater sense with God's kingdom. To see the kingdom of God, we need an aha moment from above. So the passage that we're in today is somewhat difficult to understand unless we look at it in context. That's generally the rule of Bible things, but this one in particular was a little bit confusing to me. We need to see what Jesus has been talking about and who he's been talking to for these verses to really make sense. So let's begin by looking briefly at Mark's first three chapters, very briefly, and even more specifically, we'll look at Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. In chapters 1 through 3, we find Jesus speaking plainly to three distinct groups, groups of people that still exist today. 
The first group were those who directly opposed him. In this time and place, it was the religious leaders of the day, those who were threatened by him, those who had accused him of being an agent of Satan. And the second group that Jesus encountered were those who indirectly opposed him, specifically his family, those closest to him, those that he grew up with, but who did not understand him, thought that he was a little bit crazy and wanted to take him home. And the last group were those who both listened to Jesus and followed him, specifically his disciples, including the 12 that he chose in Mark 3. But in chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, we see a shift. Jesus begins to speak in parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and he begins with the parable of the sower and the seed, the very first parable recorded in Mark's gospel. And Jesus tells a story of a farmer scattering seed onto four different kinds of soil, and he finishes the story this way, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, which is the Jewish way of saying, listen up. But Jesus gives no further explanation to the parable, at least not yet, and not to everyone. But look at the very next verse, verse 10 of Mark 4. It reads, And when he, speaking of Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. See, none of Jesus' hearers seem to understand who or what the seed and the sower represented. And the parable was likely nothing more to them than an ordinary story left to their own interpretation. But his disciples, all of his followers and the 12 who were chosen, wanted to know more. They knew that in order to understand the heavenly meaning of this earthly story, someone was going to have to explain it to them. That in order for them to unlock the mystery behind this parable, someone was going to have to give them the key and make sense of what they just heard. And thankfully, Jesus does both. But first, he wanted them to understand why he spoke in parables. Verse 11 of Mark 4 reads, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside Everything is in parables. See, parables are designed to pique one's interest while veiling the deep truths that lie within them. And the degree to which its hearer is interested is indicative of their responsiveness to the Spirit of God. So, are you seeking after the things of God, even if you have yet to believe? Because if you are, be glad. It is evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. And very likely, an indicator of the spiritual condition of your heart. Conversely, the degree to which you are disinterested is also an indicator of your relationship with God or lack thereof. For you, the parables will be nothing more than simple stories devoid of any eternal meaning unless, 
unless God intervenes. And that, my friends, is the key to this passage. God's intervention and God's revelation. See, you and I cannot unlock the mysteries and the secrets of the kingdom of God on our own. When Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was, Peter answered this way, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood did not reveal it, but his Father in heaven. And when Jesus walked along the road to Emmaus with his two of his disciples after his resurrection, the disciples did not know who he was. We are told that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's what the Bible says. So these disciples were crestfallen and they were without hope because Jesus, whom they followed, had been crucified. And their view of who Jesus was and what he came to do was limited and their understanding of it all even more. But we are told that, quote, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And when it came time for supper, we are told that Jesus, with these two disciples, took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The very one that they had been walking along with and talking with and having dinner with, in a moment, recognized him. Disciples Church, like the disciples, the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God are things that we would not understand or see apart from God's revelation to us. We would see, but not perceive. We would hear, but not understand. And this is exactly where the disciples who heard Jesus' words and left everything to follow him were now finding themselves. But in coming to Jesus and asking him to explain the parable of the sower and the seed, the disciples were given the key, the understanding of the parable. And with that key, the entire parable was unlocked. Jesus said that if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the others? And so he explained it to them. He gave them a deeper understanding of who God is and how his kingdom works. But Jesus' followers didn't figure it out. It was revealed to them by God. And upon this revelation of the kingdom of God, with their hearts and their minds having been illuminated, the light of Christ entered more broadly into our darkened world, beginning with the very ones that Jesus had chosen in Mark 3. In verse 10 of Mark 4, we learn that not all who heard Jesus' parable were there for this explanation. 
It says that Jesus went away from the crowds to be alone with his disciples, and it was they who received the explanation of the parable. So the same people who heard it didn't get it explained to them. And after his explanation, beginning in verse 21, we read, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So in verses 10 through 20 of Mark 4, the relatively few had come to learn in the kingdom of God through Jesus' revelation, but many more had heard him were interested in him and or had followed him. Do you know that in some cases in Jesus' earthly ministry, we actually see Jesus telling people to keep silent about who he is and to not follow, but to stay home. But beginning in verse 21, we see that Jesus does not intend for things to stay that way. And that is what verse 22 is referring to here. The hidden was going to be made manifest and the secret was going to come to light beginning with Jesus' closest followers. Jesus was preparing his disciples to make the kingdom of God known to all people everywhere, including people in 2020 sitting in a church in Merton, Wisconsin because it had been made known to them. And he was preparing them to take the revelation given to them and make it clear to others, like a lamp sitting on a stand. Because after all, the purpose of even having a lamp is to let it shine for everybody to see. Brothers and sisters, listen close. If God has revealed his kingdom to you, and you have believed in Jesus Christ, its king. Your lamp has been lit. Your lamp has been lit. But make no mistake, the light is not yours. It belongs to Jesus. This is Christ's light. And here's why that matters. Your responsibility and my responsibility is not to be the light. Rather, it is to be a vessel, a lamp, through which Christ's light shines. And in the same way, the responsibility of a branch is not to produce fruit, but to bear it. It is the tree that is responsible for producing fruit. The responsibility of a beggar who has found food is not to feed everyone, but to point other beggars to the source of food. And the responsibility of the one who discovers a cure is not to heal, but to share it with others. Enough analogies? I think one of the reasons that so many of us are silent about our faith in Jesus is that we think we're responsible for more than we are. As though we need to have all the answers for the questions we might be asked or all of the opposition that we might face. 
But friends, Jesus is the one who saves. And it is his spirit who reveals truth. So it is our job to tell. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well is a famous one and it's found in John 4 and it is an incredibly powerful example of this very idea. Upon meeting Jesus and Jesus revealing himself as Messiah, listen to what the Samaritan woman does next. This is John 4, 28. It reads, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Come and see. A simple invitation to people that she knew. And they listened to her. And they went. Not because her words were so convincing. Those aren't convincing words. They went because it was God's plan all along to reach them. And he decided and planned to have her simple invitation be the thing that drew them to his son. Here's the best part. In verse 42 of that same passage, upon meeting Jesus for themselves, the other Samaritans said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Friends, introduce the people that you know, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, people that you run into at Quick Trip, to Jesus. Tell them often about his kingdom and the good news of his gospel, specifically how it manifests itself in your life and gives you hope. Give reason for the hope that you have. And let God do the rest. It is not your success when someone comes to Christ, and it is not your failure when someone does not. It is the light of Jesus and the words of Jesus that people will be drawn to, not ours. Our job is to be light bearers of Christ. Our job is to get out from under the bed and the basket and sit high upon the lampstand so that those living in darkness might see for themselves to be freed from sin and death and enter into the kingdom that he came to usher in. Jesus continues in verse 24 of Mark 4. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friends, what we listen to and how we listen to it matters. And of course, by implication, what we say is equally important. And the degree to which we receive good and godly words, our walk with Jesus Christ is impacted. That's what Jesus is telling us in verse 24. 
In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote a similar warning to his young student. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Paul writes, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What wise advice we find in verse 2. Encourage and rebuke and tell and preach. But what an unflattering characterization we find in verses 3 through 4. May it never be said of us, disciples, church, that our ears itch for silly myths. Friends, just as the hungry look for food and the thirsty look for drink, those interested in the things of God look to be instructed and encouraged by God. But like food and drink, we need to be careful what we take in, spiritually speaking. We need to make sure that our sources can be trusted. So one of the things that my son Seth and I love to do each summer is visit my aunt in Crivitz, Wisconsin. It's about an hour north of Green Bay, if you don't know it. So my aunt lives on a lake up there and she has dozens of acres where we can ride around this huge ATV that they have and we can shoot guns and we can mess around. It's just awesome, ride around pontoon boats. We both just love it. And on the acres of land that she owns, there are berries that you can pick. Some of them are great for eating and others will make you sick according to her. And so it's critical to know the difference between the two. Because at a cursory glance, they both look edible. But if you were to ingest the wrong one, your body would soon let you know. (laughs) Most of us have had an experience like this. While walking through the woods or out in nature, maybe as a kid, maybe even recently, we spot wild berries or we spot mushrooms on the ground and we wonder, can I eat that? Are those those mushrooms that are like 29 bucks a pound and are going to cause me to see visions because they're so good? Or walking alongside a river, we wonder, can I refill my water bottle in that? Can I drink from that? Now, if we're unsure and we're smart, we avoid those things. But if we are with someone who is well-versed in that landscape, Or if we happen to have some trusted source, i.e. my aunt, who tells us where the good berries grow and where the potable water can be found and how to spot the difference, we might feel safe to eat and drink. And so it is with what we choose to take into our spirits. Friends, there is no shortage of spiritual food or spiritual drink in our world. Whatever you're into and wherever it is that you're looking from a Christian worldview or not, 
As Christians, we have access to more teaching and preaching today than any time in history. Apart from our one-on-one conversations, Bible studies, small groups, and Sunday gatherings, there are books and blogs, social media, and online messages from everyone and from everywhere, all at our fingertips and available to us within seconds. And while all of that can be an incredibly rich blessing, each has the potential to be incredibly dangerous. And so we need wisdom and discernment from the Spirit of God to know who and what to listen to. We need to know the Word of God well enough to identify what will nourish us and what might harm us. Because there are words that kill And there are words that bring life. There are words that bind us, and there are words that bring freedom. There are lies, and there's truth. So let me ask you this. As Christ followers, are the words that you're listening to about God himself, about yourself, and about others, God's words? Are they biblical Are they of sound doctrine? Or are they words that tickle our itching ears and make us feel good about the way we want to live rather than how God would have us live? Because, my friends, in a world full of berries to pick, mushrooms to eat, and streams to drink from, it is critical that we know what is spiritually good for us. Acts chapter 17 is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. It's got two of my favorite stories, the story of the Berean church and the story of the Athenian church being built by Paul. So Berea is modern day Macedonia and Athens is in Greece. Macedonia is also considered Greece. And while Paul and Silas came to Berea, they went into the Jewish synagogue as was their custom. That was kind of their thing whenever they would enter into a town. And here's how Luke, the author of Acts, describes the people of Berea. Beginning in verse 11 of Acts 17, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. And listen, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Berean church didn't just take Paul and Silas at their word. They examined the claims they made for themselves within the word of God. Brothers and sisters, let us be then Berean as we discern what to listen to and what we don't. With the perfect word of God as our ultimate authority, knowing it and examining it for ourselves, asking the spirit of God to reveal to us what it says and what it means, even if we don't like it, or agree with some of it. Equally important to what we listen to is how we listen. So friends, if we would approach the word of God as a personal letter to us, with God himself as the author, we would read and listen to it much more intently. We would comb over the details and look deeply into all that it has to say. And if we ask God to speak directly to us through it, to give us understanding and his wisdom as only he can to transform our hearts and minds, 
God is faithful and glad to do so because God loves to give his children good things. So don't just open your Bible and start reading it or listening to it. Take time first to be silent before God and then ask him to speak to you directly and reveal the deep truths of his word just as Jesus did with his disciples in this passage. Finishing up with verse 25 of Mark 4, Jesus says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friends, as we receive and speak the word of God with eagerness and with gladness, like the Bereans, our appetite for both will increase. We'll want to hear more, we will want to understand more, we will want to declare more and take greater hold of God's rich blessings found within it. And the more that we share the truth of Jesus, the more that we will receive the truth of Jesus. That's how God does things. That's what this verse is talking about. So let me let you in on a little secret. When Jonathan and I prepare the message each week, we do so intending to bless and to feed you. But if you were to ask either of us, after the weekend is over, who is truly fed and who is truly blessed, you or us, we would say us every time. Ask anyone who's taught a Bible study, led a small group, or preached a sermon. That is likely their experience as well. Ask someone who goes on a mission trip intending to serve others and to give to others who truly got. That's just how God does things because to the one who has, more will be given. On the other hand, if our lives reflect a lack of desire for God's truth and his word, either read, spoken, or taught, our desire for it will continue to wane. And with it, our desire for God himself and his spiritual blessings. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen up. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God came in an unexpected way and at an unexpected time. Apart from God's revelation, no one would have seen it. The long-awaited, oft-prophesied Messiah stood right in front of them, and by and large, they missed him. Both those who opposed him and those who followed And because of their long-standing self-righteousness, deep-seated misunderstanding of who God was and what his kingdom was like, Jesus' opponents were incapable of seeing what he plainly was showing them, of hearing what he was simply saying, and believing that the kingdom of God had come in the body of a tradesman from Nazareth. And so, Jesus spoke in parables that those with open eyes might look again and see afresh 
that those with hearts tender toward God might be lured towards something new, something they could have never imagined. But for you and I, through those who were taught by parables, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been made known. What was once hidden has been revealed by his spirit in his word. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent his only son into the world that he made through a virgin girl. And he came to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. He was nailed to a cross and bore the full punishment of sin for all who would believe in him. And three days later, he rose again from the dead to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient for a just and holy God, to demonstrate his power over death and to offer resurrected life to the spiritually dead. That's you and me. And one day soon, he will come again to judge those who have not believed and to bring home those who have. And Jesus said of those who believed in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A really cool British preacher that I know and love once used these three words in a sermon. Enlightened, enrolled, and equipped. Enlightened, enrolled, and equipped. And here's why those three words matter. By believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have shown ourselves to be enlightened. But the Spirit of God gets all the credit for it. And having been enlightened, we become enrolled There is a call on our lives and we have responsibility to declare to others what was freely shared with us and to do good works, not for our salvation, but for the glory of God. And having been enlightened and enrolled, we are equipped, given all that we need for life and godliness by the indwelling Spirit of God, allowing the one true eternal God to live and to love through us by entering into a personal relationship with Him, not through any merit of our own, but by grace and through faith, a free gift. Truly, my friends, the greatest of all aha moments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, would you give to us this day a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened 
Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit that in your light we may see and be light. In your truth, find freedom. And in your will, discover your peace. Jesus said, if we are lost, he would come to us. And he showed us on that cross. He came for us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.